2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 5 through 16. For even when we came into Macedonia, our flesh had no rest, but we were afflicted on every side. Conflicts without, fears within. But God who comforts the depressed comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you. As he reported to us, your longing, your mourning, and your zeal for me. So I rejoiced even more. For though I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter caused you sorrow. Though only for a while. I now rejoice. Not that you were made sorrowful, but you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. So that you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. So that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret, leading to salvation. But the sorrow of the world produces death. For behold, what earnestness this very thing, this godly sorrow has produced in you, what vindication of yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what avenging of wrong, and everything you demonstrated yourselves to be innocent in this manner. So, although I wrote you, it was not for the sake of the offender, nor for the sake of the offended, but that your earnestness on our behalf might be made known to you in the sight of God. For this reason, we have been comforted. And besides our comfort, we rejoice even more that the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed by you all. For if in anything I have boasted to him about you, I was not put to shame. But as he spoke all things to you in truth, so also our boasting before Titus proved to be truth. His affection abounds all the more toward you as he remembers the obedience of you all. How you received him with fear and trembling. I rejoice that in everything I have confidence in you. Please join me in prayer. Father, these be your words. May your people this day here be encouraged, but also strengthened. Father, if there be any in this room now, that are not yours, may today be the day of their salvation. May they hear, may they understand, and may they rejoice. As the joy of the Apostle Paul at the coming of Titus, that the joy was even increased by the message that he received from Titus. The response of these precious saints in Corinth, may that be the same with us this day. Your glory and praise. Amen. We're looking at comfort and sorrow. Uh, he's basically picked up this theme that he ended with in chapter 2, verse 13. And now he picked it up again in chapter 7, verse 5. In between that, in that section there, he basically tells you what his ministry looked like. And what he had to deal with. What he's showing us is that there 
are those who step into the ministry. Service. That's all that is. I know that everybody likes to think, well, that's a minister. It's just a servant. That's all it is. Okay. If you go look at the original word doulos, you'll find out it means a slave. Okay. I know we want to make it a bond slave or we want to make it a pretty slave. We want to make it a foo-foo slave. Truth of the matter is it's a slave. Okay. You have but one master. And you do not tell your master, this is what I'm going to do. You say, master, what would you have me do? All right. The Apostle Paul is trying to get that through to us, that there are times when you step into that and you understand that, that you are going to be hurt. He says that we were afflicted inside and out. Everywhere I turned, I had people who don't like Christ who didn't like me. I had people who do like Christ who didn't like me. It's that simple. And yet it does not sway the task that we are supposed to be about. Do you understand when I say the word we? Okay, if you're saved today, you are a servant of Jesus Christ. See how sweet that sounds? Try it this way. If you are saved today, you are a slave of Jesus Christ. Got it? And it's not a matter of what is convenient for me. It is a matter of what does my master want? Because you know what? You used to be a slave to sin. And whatever sin wanted, you said, okay. Right? You didn't argue with it. You just said, right on, right on, right on. It's that simple. When you step into the realm of ministry, you are going to be hurt. You will be afflicted on the outside. People who are not saved will not like you. Okay, people who are saved will not like you. And you will find out there are times when I deal with lost people. Just my very presence makes them mad. Okay, now they're not going to they're not trying to beat me up or throw me in jail or anything like that. They just don't like to be around me. I was accused this week of being a Jesus lover. And I kind of like, well, you know, I've been called Antichrist. I've been called, you know, I'm stepping up in the world. I'm a Jesus lover now. Okay. I remember when a guy said, you're getting, you sound like a Bible thumper. Yeah. Right on, right on, right on. (laughs) We're making progress. So I've moved from Bible thumper to Jesus lover. Okay. Progression. The problem is I am like anybody else. I take no pleasure in grief. I take no pleasure in confrontation. Now, a lot of people seem to think that this is where I, he just gets right after it. No, that's not the way I operate. Nor was it the way the Apostle Paul operated. If you took the mantle of spiritual leader, you better be right. Okay, because if you're not, I'm going to say something. Just that simple. Right? The Apostle Paul, if you look at what he did to confront people, his main focus was spiritual leadership. If you go read uh, 1 Timothy. That's all that letter is. You know, they, well, that's a pastoral epistle. Actually, no, it's a letter to Timothy. 
Okay? Because he had kicked two leaders out of the church in Ephesus. All right? And he says, when you're trying to fill the elder board, you better have this thing squared away. Because you will have different views of people who want to appease their conscience and they want teachers who will help them. What do you see today? Tell me what I want to hear. You tell me what I want to hear, I'll give you a little more money. That ain't the way it works. That is not the way it works. Okay? There is no pleasure in the confrontation. Please understand it. But... Paul's already shown us that there is pleasure in the response. In the response. He said, by Titus coming back. You ever thought about that? By Titus coming back and seeing him, that brought him great joy. Now, that's so funny because he had been to Troas. Titus wasn't there. He had no comfort in his spirit. And God had opened a door for the gospel for the apostle Paul and Troas. And guess what? He couldn't do it. He had no peace. He went on to Macedonia. So his first thing is, is that when he did finally see Titus, it brought him joy. Let me ask you a question. Do you, each, every one of you, we're small enough today. I can start naming you by names if you want. Will I make it easier for you? In case you think I'm being general. Are there any Christians that their arrival brings you joy? Just to see them. There they are. Right on. What does it do when that Christian walks into your life and says, You just ain't going to believe what happened. And they give you this great report of the amazing things God has done. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. There are times in confrontation, discipline, that I do it and others should do it. And I'm only doing it to produce a change. Okay. Verse 9. Look at that. I now rejoice. Not that you were made sorrowful. Okay. Do you understand that? There are a lot of people who think Paul is this redneck preacher who just run around beating people. That ain't what he did. Okay, and honestly, you'll look, you'll see this today because today this is this is good stuff here. You really need to be paying attention today. Okay, because this stuff here rocks my universe. Okay, and it is completely abstract to what the church is today. Here's what he says, verse nine. Not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of, there's that wonderful word, or repentance. It's change. The sorrow you had changed you. Okay, now, when you hear the word repentance, we immediately go, mean old Baptist. Okay, that's what we do. You know what? You go to Russia. I need to take every one of you to Russia with me. Because you talk to them people in Russia... And you ask him, when did you come to salvation? They will never say, I received Christ. They will never say, I accepted Christ. They will never say, the lights were turned on for Christ. They will say, I came to repentance at this point. We need to get that back. 
Because at some point in your life, and I think it's one of the things that's killing the church today, is we don't have no repentance. There is no change. I just need an eternal life insurance policy. You know, I'm not going to do a lot of bad things. I'm going to do some bad things because, you know, I'm under grace. But I won't be really bad. Okay. Well, according to the Bible, if you're saved, there is a change of direction. And if there's not, step one. So he says, the sorrow of this letter that I wrote you, I didn't want to do. But hallelujah, you changed directions. A sorrow to repentance. I now rejoice. Now listen, there's no joy in the sin. There's no joy in their sorrow. Yes, I know there are those out there who take great joy in afflicting people. All right, I understand that. I've run into them. Okay, the joy that... The comfort that comes in sorrow is a joy that because there was a change, there was repentance. Okay? It's the right kind of sorrow. Okay, now listen. I want to be really specific about this. I don't want you to be thinking, well, what does he mean? Listen. The right kind of sorrow. All right? There is some sorrow that is out there right now. Okay. And and what I mean, I'm not talking about, I'm talking in the body of Christ. There is sorrow out there right now that is selfish sympathy. Okay. That's all it is. Okay. Now let me tell you something about selfish sympathy. There's no change. There's no change. You know, I, I listen to these people, the experts. I love experts. They talk about uh, poor self-esteem. Okay, all that is is selfish sympathy. Okay, I have never met a human being who has low self-esteem. Never. Okay, now I've seen people who are so wrapped up in their egos that no matter what you do, it's poor pitiful me. You don't understand. Okay? But it's selfish sympathy. There's, you know, poor me, I didn't get the winning lotto ticket. Whatever. You know, I lost my job. So? You walk in my righteousness, you shall never thirst or hunger. That's what my Bible teaches. Okay? Now, if you're worried about making the buck because you think you're important. I mean, have you ever, I was at the intersection up in, uh, uh, Main Street and 83 in Parker. There's like 900 lanes of traffic. It's like every... I was on a motorcycle, which is a little unnerving. Everybody else is like, well, I hope this all comes out all right. Okay, so I'm sitting here on a motorcycle, and I look around. Okay, I got four lanes of traffic going west. I got four lanes of traffic going east. I got five lanes of traffic going north, and I got five lanes of traffic going down. And every single person's on a telephone. Are you that important that you can't hang up that stupid phone? Because I got news for you. You come into my lane, I'm going to kick your corner panel in. 
You may knock me down, but I'm going to put a boot print right inside of your car. Why? Hang up and drive. It's obvious you can't do them both. But that is people who think they're so stinking important. They're texting. Texting and driving. Perfect. Okay? Do you see what I'm trying to get at? We are that. You know how old I am? I'm 50. I don't know something. (laughs) I lost count after 50. I remember when you had to go find a payphone, but I wasn't important enough to even carry a bunch of quarters. We are that important now that I have to be on the phone. Really? I don't think so. I don't think so. The other day I left home and left my phone on my bed stand. You know what? I did not die. Nor did the people who left me all these stupid messages. They didn't die. It's amazing. But see, we think we're that important. And so we have this thing that I call selfish sympathy. Okay? It's a poor me. Okay, there's another sorrow that is out there. Okay? And I'm talking about the body of Christ. I ain't talking about lost people. I'm talking about the body of Christ. It's a sorrow of getting caught. I got caught. All right? You know what I'm talking about? I had my hand in the cookie jar. And they walked in with my hand in the cookie jar. And you're sort of like, oh, I don't know how that happened. You know what I mean? You know, was, I think I told you about the YouTube where the kid had the little sparkles all over his face from the sparkles off a donut. And his mom asked him, got him on, you know, on the video thing. Did you uh, eat a donut? No. Are you sure you didn't eat a donut? He's got all these little sprinkle things all over his face. I mean, it's from his nose down. I'm sitting there going, I don't think he did. He may have just smooshed it on his face. Okay. But he's just sitting there. He's got it all. Oh, I didn't. Mm-mm, mommy, I didn't. You know, I was going to give you a donut if you didn't eat one. I didn't eat one, so I'll take a donut. And I'm sitting there going, Jamie, crickets, you got to be kidding me. And I, mean, I don't know, kid's probably two and a half years old. You're sitting there going, Gee, show the kid a mirror. Ask him why he's got sprinkles on his face. Okay, but, you know, we can laugh about that. But do you know what it means to have a sorrow of getting caught? It's what we were pursuing. We had to stop. That's what it is. You know what I call it? Unfulfilled lust. Doesn't sound as funny now, does it? Unfulfilled lust brings us sorrow. But you know what it doesn't bring? Change. So it's not a sorrow of despair even. Poor me. Oh, what am I going to do? It's not a sorrow of bitterness that brings change. There are those who have a sorrow and they're bitter about it. Why? Because if I hadn't had these parents, this would have been great. If I had gotten this job, this would have been great. If I had gotten this thing, this would have been great. It's not a sorrow of hurt pride. 
because we have that too. I thought I was more important than that. Okay? What the Apostle Paul is talking about here is the real thing. Verse 9 brings repentance. Repentance is a change. It's a change of directions. Okay? It's a turning around and going the other way. And it's not because I'm in despair. It's not because of bitterness. It's not because of my pride. It's not because my lust wasn't fulfilled. And it's not because that, you know, it's about me. It's turning around and there's no defensiveness. I'm not mad about it. Have you ever confronted somebody? How many times when you confront somebody, they're not defensive? I don't know if that's possible. Well, that's not true. I do know two situations that I confronted people and they understood. Okay. Two out of 20 years. Not bad. (laughs) There's no victimization in it. You don't understand. Oh, I tell you what, if I hear that again this week, there's going to be some people going to have a long week. And I'm not in that line. It's not self-justification. I know none of us have ever done that, have we? Let me justify my rebellion. You just don't understand. I remember a guy one time told me, he said, uh, we, we were having a little issue about women and the role in the body of Christ. Okay? It was, it was an interesting conversation. And he made a comment to me. This is a white-haired man who had been in church leadership for as long as I could remember, as long as I'd been in a church, this church. Well, this is the only church I've ever been in. I guess it's not that complicated, is it? And he made a statement. I mean, he's looking at me, and he looked me straight in the eye, and he said, if it hadn't been for women, the church would have died years ago. Really? Women in the gates of hell. Hmm. I I missed that. Huh. Shoot. (laughs) That must have been in Luke, because I've been spending too much time in Matthew. Okay? And it, it is just that, well, they won't do it, I better do it. But if you've not been designed to do it, why would you do it? That's the problem that I never had. You know, there's things in the body of Christ I know I can't do. Okay? I don't even volunteer. I don't step up for it. They had me in the nursery one time. Okay? I got witnesses to this. Okay? They they said, hey, can you? Yeah, I'll take the nursery. Brilliant idea. Okay? When the kids came out, they could take aluminum cans and push them on their foreheads and crush them. I'm not sure what that's got to do with theology, but the kids thought it was great. The parents are going, what happened? Okay, you know what? They've never asked me back in a nursery. Well, what did you expect me to do? I've got kids for an hour. Entertain them. All right, kids, here we go. Let me show you the things that I can teach you. 
Okay, you're lucky. There's other things I could have taught that are worse. When you confront people and they try to justify themselves, you can understand that God is not working yet. When they try to defend themselves, you understand that God is not working yet. Because if you confront in the power of the Holy Spirit to a person who is spirit-filled, there is no resentment. They thank you for it. A sorrow to repentance. See, a sorrow to repentance, a sorrow to change, that is real change. Okay, if they try to defend themselves, then they're trying to rationalize their sin. Okay, which means that my lust has not been fulfilled, so I need to fulfill my lust, then I'll change. Well, no, you won't. No, you won't. See, and it's funny here because I hear people ask me, what is the will of God? A sorrow in your soul to change? Oh, I don't want that will. (laughs) Isn't there another will out there? I was thinking another one. You know, people come to me. You know, pastor, what's the will of God? A sorrow in your soul to change? Ooh. Well, uh, is there another will? No, that would be a Bob. No. Did you understand that God's will for the saints is to change? And that is the kind of sorrow God wants us to have? Have you ever thought about that? That's an amazing concept if you stop and think about it. I have a sorrow in my soul that God has put on me because He wants me to defend myself. No, He wants you to change. It's consistent with God's will, our change. You've got to be kidding me. No, I'm not. This is what God had intended the Corinthians to feel by the severe letter sent by Paul, by the person of Titus. But it must have been a dandy because it's not in Scripture and he was fearing for Titus. I was reading, I think it was Linsky. And, and, and it's, it, the statement just sort of stunned me. It's, it's one of those proverbial holy poo in the solar plexus. And this is his quote. God approved of their sorrow. Wow. (laughs) Really? Yeah, why? Change their direction. Listen, this is not self-pity. Okay, this this is not, I, I guess if I wanted to use the vernacular that's today, it's not human remorse. This is that 50 sections in the Psalms where... David says, against you and you alone, I have sinned. That's the sorrow. Because that sorrow says, I'm going the wrong way. I need to change direction. It's a sorrow over sin. When you have a sorrow over... Now, please hear me well. It's a sorrow over your sin. You guys are great at sorrowing over my sin. Try to sorrow over your own. When you do that, 
It will produce change in your life. Okay? Then you've removed the beam out of your eye and you can help your brother with the speck that is in his. It produces change. You know what's really cool about it? Every time it produces change. You've seen human resource or remorse. Why? You know, I feel sad. Well, I'll be all right on Wednesday. It doesn't do nothing. It don't change. You don't change. Let me show you something because a lot of times we miss this. It's easy for you and I at times to say, well, I need to confront them over da-da-da. I remember a, a lady, a precious saint in this church, wonderful saint. She came to church one Sunday, and uh, well, that's been years ago because I was teaching out of Matthew. And she came up to me, and she's crying after church. And I said, well, what's the matter? And she says, I wasn't able to give today. And I was like, well, don't worry. And, and she has what, what is called an uh, unequally yoked marriage. She says, I couldn't give today. So I was figuring that her spouse, her husband, had said, don't give today. And I said, well, don't, you know, don't worry about it. It's, it's okay. And she says, no, you don't understand. She says, I have something against someone. And what you taught on says I can't give if I have something against them and I haven't reconciled it. And I was like, oh, well, I didn't mean it that way. No. <laughs> but I was like, well, you know, then she explained to him the situation. I'm not going to explain the situation. She explained to me the situation. And, and I said, well, here, go, and here's how you take care of it. And uh, she came back. Uh, this was on a Sunday. I think it was on Tuesday or Wednesday because it was a co-worker. Come back and uh, Tuesday or Wednesday, and she says it's all taken care of, and uh, I'm forgiven. And here, and gave me the her offering. Okay, now listen, that's a sorrow that brought about a change. Do you understand that? I mean, I can look at that and say, well, give me a break. Just throw the envelope in that tray. But you know what? Her conscience and God were having a problem. And so she changed it. And this lady is one of the most godly people that I know. No, can't do it. I've got this issue. And until I get this issue dealt with, how can I give to God? <laughs> well, you're right. I did say that, didn't I? Big dummy. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want you to think about this for a second, okay? Because it's easy for you and I to say, I'm going to go deal with this. Here's 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 25. With gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of truth. Okay, so you get that? Saints change How? God changes them. God brings them to repentance. And you pray in your gentleness. You still have to confront. But you pray that God brings them to repentance. Have you ever thought about that? 
You know what? I watch us. We think it's our job to bring people to repentance. That ain't our job. The Bible is emphatic. The Holy Spirit goes to lost people and does what? Condemns them of their sin. It makes them feel bad. That's why we pass laws. So this is now legal by the government. I'm allowed to keep doing it. But anyway, God says, let my conscience be better. We ain't supposed to do that. When it comes to saints, there are saints out there that, you know what? You're going to have to walk with them. They're faint-hearted. They're weak. You pick them up. You carry them. You who are spiritual, see anyone in a trespass, bear their burden. Pick them up. Lift the load. And then there's times that you're going to have to deal with spiritual leadership and the spiritual leadership if they refuse to repent. Do you understand that when you bring church discipline on it, it says bring it before the church. That's only speaking of elders. Did you understand that? It got nothing to do with your average Christian. Your average Christian is still trying to figure it out, right? But if the person is a place of leadership, you can go from this perspective. Teachers are judged harsher. You think you're a teacher, understand. You had better understand that your teaching is now standing you up as a person in leadership. If you're in a place of leadership, guess what? Be careful, be on guard. And when they confront you, are you going to be defensive? Or are you going to say, thank you? God grant them repentance. It is God who brings the change. Change is a work of God. See, it is God in the heart that changes the person. There has to be a willingness of the individual. You confront him. But Peter tells us a dog returns to its vomit. Eventually they will get tired of it. It isn't you and I. Let me go stick your head in your vomit. That ain't the way it works. I point it out. And I move on. And I pray. God brings them to repentance. God brings them to change. God has done the work in the heart. And they respond. Okay. Now, now keep this in mind. I want you to. Because there's two lines that are coming together. This is a picture of the perfect restoration of a relationship. Okay. It is sin that breaks the relationship. Until there is a repentance of the sin, the relationship can't be restored. I don't care what the relationship. It can be a parent to a child. It can be sibling rivalry. It can be a saint to a saint. It will not change until the sin is changed. Until somebody changes direction in the sin. Okay? God has done this work. Okay? You confront the sin... Okay, and the person's response is with sorrow. I was wrong. Now listen, sometimes the wronging was just ignorance. They didn't know no better. That's fine. It's not self-preserving. It's not self-defense. It's not, you know, oh, I didn't get my lust fulfilled. I'll wait till they leave and then I'll deal with it. That ain't the way it works. A sorrow that is full admission of sin. What you're doing is sin. Okay? And, I, and it can be anything. 
It's a change of direction. That is that sorrow that understands that what I'm doing is sin. That admission of that sin, that leads to the change. What you and I call repentance. So, when that change happens, verse 9 says, Paul was happy about it. That's awesome. That is totally, totally awesome. They changed. I confronted them. I sent them a severe letter. I sent them by the person of Titus. I went right there, got right in their face with it. And they seen Titus, when they first saw him, they had fear and trembling. Why? This ain't going to be good. Why? He's already been here once and we made him look like a fool. Now Titus is here. Uh-oh. Okay, he uses the term there, us. All right? And, you know, and I've heard all of, there's a lot of writers out there that try to explain, but he's just using that to show that, you know, he was in one with the body of Christ. Well, you know what it was? It is the selflessness of Paul. This was us. I did this. Okay? I wrote the letter, but who brought it to you? Titus. See, this is one of the things that drives me batty today. I know everybody's like, dude, you got a big old long list of batty. Um, there are people out there who believe that it's their ministry. Okay? I have news for you. It ain't. It's God's ministry. I'm just an earthen vessel. Okay? It's like... The trips that I've taken to Russia, I don't do that without you guys. Okay? And I can go down a whole long list of how's come. But I don't have the opportunity to spend the time in the Word of God without you guys. I don't have it. Okay? The years that I have been privileged to read the Bible and to study the Bible and to tear it apart, verb by verb, Proverb by proverb, whatever. It's because you guys have set me aside. So when I go and I teach someplace, it is our ministry. We are serving the body of Christ in other places. It isn't my ministry. I don't have a ministry. I am a servant of the king. And it is because of your presence that I have the ability to go and do some of these things. Paul says he is selfless. It is him who wrote the letter, but it ministers alongside all these other people. Okay, now this gets kind of. You guys all be sitting down on this one and you better be listening with both ears because you're about to get your toes run over. Okay, I want to show you something here because I know for a fact I've been in the body of Christ long enough to know that this is clueless to Christianity. Okay, now watch what happens. I rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful, but that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. That's the change of direction, Okay. I had to confront you. By the grace and mercy of God, he gave you a change. Okay? For you were made sorrowful according to the will of God. All right? Now, 
All right. That that sounds good. You know, he could have stopped right there and we'd all been safe. But he didn't stop right there. Look what he says next. Read it and weep. No, sorry. (laughs) So that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. Okay, now remember what just happened. He's confronted them over their response to him and they're embracing the false teachers. Okay? What he's trying to say is, there is so much that comes to you from where? Oh, you really want to admit to that? All right, brothers and sisters, let me read it and see what it says. You're in the body of Christ. You guys are in a church right now. Okay? And he says, I don't want you to suffer loss. Because it all comes where? Where's it coming from that keeps you from loss? From us. Makes you just want to jump up and down and go, what? Okay, let's think about this with me. I don't want you to suffer loss of any of it. Of what, Paul? Of what came through us to you. Why would you want to cut oneself off from those who are bringing you divine revelation? Why would you want to cut your access off? Listen, every one of us in this room right now have a relationship, right? Okay, some of you have a relationship with me, right? Right? Why would you want to cut off that relationship? That's what Paul's saying. He says, I have been empowered by God to speak the words of God, direct revelation from God, to give it to you. And why would you want to cut that off? Why would you want to break that relationship? And I don't want you to suffer loss of the things I've already given you. You ever think about that? How many people can look at the individuals in the body of Christ right now, okay, right now, and say, these people are here for my benefit? Everybody's like, oh, you're walking on thin ice there, buddy. You know why? Because you haven't thought about it. Most of the people who go to church today is for what am I going to get? Instead of what benefit do I have in that person or those people? You think I'm kidding you? I've been asking for somebody to help serve in the nursery. That's worked out well. Really? Have you ever thought of for another person's benefit? No! Couldn't be. 
My benefit is sitting there smiling at him while I'm sitting there. Really? The Apostle Paul is saying, you know what, people? You have broke this relationship with me because of your actions. All right? I wrote you a letter to tell you that. All right? And I don't want you to suffer loss with what you already have. Why? Because the people that God brings into our lives are the people that God brings into our lives. God brought them. You didn't bring them. And it's amazing to me that the saints of God don't ever look at that. Did you ever think that just being in the presence of some people is a blessing for you? To hear the teaching of some people is a blessing to you? It is to strengthen you so that you do not suffer loss. And yet when we get despondent or depressed, oh, it ain't going well. I ain't going to church. Really? Break the relationship. That should help. So much comes to the Corinthians through us, I don't want you to have any loss in it. Do you understand that people in your lives are there because God put them there? And why in the world would I ever want to cut it off? Let me tell you something. There are some people out there that are life suckers. That's all they do. They just take and take and take and take and take and take. But you know what? God put them there because you need it. You need to invest in the people. You need to keep pouring yourself into it. And at sometimes you're going to confront. You know what happens when you do that? You're telling God you don't want it. God, I don't want your benefit. Well, that seems a little bit on the stupid side to me. Well, you don't understand, God. No, he does understand. I believe he was doing some knitting in the womb and some weird stuff like that. So he kind of had this one figured out a few years ago. And yet, we never look at fellow saints as a precious treasure God has placed in our lives. Titus' arrival brought Paul joy. Did you get that? This isn't a man who did not understand the purpose of the Holy Spirit, the comfort and the counsel of the Holy Spirit, the sovereignty of God, and there's nowhere I can go that he ain't there. He understood that, but he understood that just the presence of Titus coming encouraged him and brought him joy. Then he heard Titus's report and he's like, whoa, he rejoiced even more. And then he heard how the Corinthians had gave joy to Titus and he was ecstatic. Now, listen, the Corinthians were a bunch of knuckleheads. And yet they were bringing joy to Titus who brought it to Paul. And Paul's trying to say, ah, what a glorious relationship. It has been restored. Now, have you ever thought about this? There are people that God brings into your life solely for your joy. Have you ever thought about that? But we always hang out with the, you just don't know this one here. There ain't no joy here. They couldn't spell joy if they had all the letters of the alphabet. Yeah, they can. Their presence 
and their turmoil, though it may be heartache, when they change, what happens? Well, they just didn't do it fast enough. And God yells from heaven, neither did you. But that's what we do. That's what we do. It's like uh, when you discipline your children. Okay? Nobody disciplines their child because, you know, I'm having a bad day and you are about to. We don't do that. We discipline our children for their betterment. They have to get this. And you know what? Our kids live in an abstract world. I don't care who you are. They are, my, I got older kids and they are in an abstract world. Okay. They ain't looking 20 years down the pike. I can, I know that because I was a kid. I didn't look 20 years down the pike. I was doing good if I looked tonight. I don't do that. But we discipline our kids because we can look at it and say, this decision has these consequences and you ain't smart enough to figure that out. So I'm going to discipline you. Now, when the kid looks at it, they're like, mean, they're mean, they hate me and I'm just hate them too. Right? The same thing is in the church. There's times, you know, I've had people who, who said, you know what? Every time I listen to you preach, you just step on my toes. Then move them. You know, I had a family who was in this church for about six years and they left and they said, here's the reason we're leaving. Every time I come in here, I'm convicted. So we're just going to go somewhere else. Well, wait a minute. Perhaps change needs to happen. And of course, they do the same thing. It was just the way you said it. Oh, gee. No, it's just the way you heard it. Gee, many crickets, people. Really? If the Holy Spirit is convicting you, it's not my fault. Okay, I'm not trying to justify myself or anything like that. I'm just sitting there saying, you know, I've done some notes on this. I've done a little reading on this. And this is what it says. Okay. Uh, But it hurt my feelings. Did I hurt your feelings or did God hurt your feelings? Is there sorrow there that's deep enough that... You're not worried about self-pity or are you worried more about, I need to change something? See, these are the issues that, this is what Paul's dealing with right here. The problem is, is that when I watch, when when you discipline a child or you have to reproach somebody in the church, you're trying to keep them from being cut off from the relationship. I don't want you to be cut off. I don't want you to miss the blessing. I don't want you to miss the happiness. I don't want you to miss the life abundant. I don't want you to miss those things. Have you ever thought about this? When you think about the word minister, I hope you guys are finally getting it that it's a servant. Anybody who's saved is a minister. Okay? A minister. Is God working through an individual to those who are rebelling? And the minister does it so that those rebelling don't suffer loss. I don't want you to suffer loss. First Corinthians chapter three, verse 15. He says, make sure your works are not 
Wait, hair stubble on judgment day, day you would suffer loss. Same phrase. Those things God would do in your life. And God puts you in a church that is non-compromising on the word of God so that you don't suffer loss. I don't want your work burned up. Paul's telling the Corinthians, I don't want you to suffer loss. I don't want you to be pouring yourself in a lot of energy in something that is of no value. That's the motive that is behind this. Paul could be seeing that. That may be what's going through his mind. He doesn't want to see the loss of his ministry. I spent 18 months with you people. I don't want to think that I was a waste of time. What God was doing through the apostle. I don't want you to lose it at the end. I don't want you to stand before God, the Lord Jesus Christ, on the great white throne and it be wood, hay and stubble. I don't want you to do that. I want it to be gold, gems, silver, precious. Okay, now then, I'm going to try to make this as clear as I can. Okay, Because people are sitting there going, are you trying to tell me that the Bible teacher is a blessing to me? Way more than that. Let me share with you something. You guys remember this. Come out 1 Corinthians 7. If you're married to a godly spouse, do you know you're sanctified? Even if you're not a believer? Now, now, keep that in your mind, because if you're a child and you have godly parents or a godly parent, one, do you realize the benefit of that? Well, no, because they're just so mean and no restrictive. No, 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 no. First Corinthians seven says. If a man has a godly believing woman. What happens to the house? It is sanctified. You know what that means? It is set apart to God. Even though the the husband isn't saved. You know what that means? If there's any kids in that house, huh, they're set apart to God. Now listen, please be careful. It doesn't mean they're saved. But who's protecting it? Who's blessing it? Do you ever think about that? If you're in a church and you have godly teachers, huh, I wonder how that works. Because you know what? It says that they will heap to themselves teachers that do what? Tickle their ears. Go back to the history of Israel. How many false prophets and priests and teachers were there out there that led the people astray? And the people didn't even know it. So if you're in a place where you have godly leadership, do you understand the blessing of being in that place? Let me ask it to you this way. Do you take that for granted? Listen, I was not raised in a godly home. At all. 
Okay? My kids took it for granted. Okay? All three of them. All right? I wasn't. I wasn't raised in a godly home. Okay? I know the difference. I know the difference. I was allowed to do anything I wanted. Whenever I wanted to do it, as often as I wanted to do it. And I know what it got me. My kids, I had to bust all three of their butts one time. That's all it took. And they're like, hmm. We don't want to cross that bridge no more. Okay? I guarantee you, young people today, you have no idea if you're in a godly house how blessed you truly are. I guarantee it. You're clueless. But you will. But the problem that I want you to be careful about right now is don't cut off that relationship just because all of a sudden you didn't get your way. Same thing the Apostle Paul's doing to the Corinthians. I don't want to cut this relationship off. I don't want you to suffer loss because you're being so stupid. You know what? People ask me, uh, how, did you, did, how did you get your calling? How did you know that you were called to be a preacher? <laughs> I still don't know that I am. <laughs> But, yeah, ain't been able to do anything else. Might as well try that. Um, I can tell you this. Before I even became an elder in this church, when they were teaching, I was there. Okay? Because, see, you know what I had that I see lacking? I knew what the options were. I can hang with the world. Or I can hang with godly spiritual people. Which one do I want? Which one will be a benefit to me? If you have godly influences in your life right now, every single one of you, I don't care who you are today. If you've got godly influences in your life, if you've got godly spiritual leaders in your life, I've learned this the hard way. I pray that you don't learn it the way I did. You need to stay as close to them as you can. As close as you can. Because God works through them to your and my benefit. Okay? It's your advantage. Stay as close as you can. The unbelieving husband is sanctified by the believing wife. It means the house is sanctified just because of the one believer in the house. If you are in the same house where God is pouring out his blessing on a believer, guess what? You get splashed on. If God is pouring out his blessing on a congregation because someone is standing for truth, guess what? Paul feared they would suffer loss. And the compassion in his heart says, I don't want you to suffer loss. This is not a man with a wounded ego. He's not worried about whether he's popular or not in Corinth. He is concerned over their loss, not his loss. 
All he wanted, listen, let's be realistic. You do not have to be a theologian or a Greek scholar to understand that all Paul wanted was Christ, period. Okay? And you know what he understood? He couldn't lose that. So you can't take nothing from the Apostle Paul. But loss of a present blessing is a loss of reward. 2 John 8. You will lose your rewards at his coming. Or you could end up under his chastening. And I don't know if any of you have ever been under his chastening. I have been there a time or two, and it's just not a pleasant place. Why would you want to separate from the Apostle Paul? Think about it. Why would you want to separate from godly spiritual influence? Why? And you know what? There's times that your poor little old ego gets bruised and you want to separate from godly influence. Jeez, do you realize how stupid that is? Well, but they hurt my feelings. It probably was overdue. People are so full. Let me tell you something. I was thinking about this. If the Apostle Paul... The real Paul, Apostle Paul, was here right now in Castle Rock. Okay? You know what? He wouldn't have a large following. He wouldn't. And yet he's a direct spokesman for God. He wouldn't have a large following. Why? He's confrontive. He's non-compromising. Can't sway him. I just don't like the way he says it. He's not that articulate. Who's his worship leader? I don't know. He preached all day. A kid fell out the wind and he went out and raised him from the dead and continued on. Why would I want to sit and listen to that? You know what? And it is amazing in my years as a senior pastor and as a Christian to watch the decisions that people make. It is amazing to me. Listen, if the Apostle Paul was in Castle Rock right now, he was here. I would be around him every time he ever opened his mouth. I would make his shadow look a distance. I get around people who speak forth the truth of God I don't want to ever move away from them. Ever. Gets a little uncomfortable, but that's all right. Paul had the insights into life. He had insights into eternity. How could I not want to be around him? And yet, the Corinthians have stepped into a place. How foolish to cut themselves off from that. The only person who has all the insights into life and all the insights into eternity. Why would you cut yourself off from that? That's, it's like the church. I was, had a discussion with, uh, I don't know, people who worship in their own way. You don't have to be in church. I'm like, so you're telling me the manifestation of Christ, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, established here on this planet, you have no need for. Well, I never thought of it from that perspective. You might want to. Okay, listen, church ain't perfect. 
Okay? And if you find a perfect church, stay out of it. You'll screw it up. Okay? It's that simple. But if you have a church that stands purely on the Word of God, period, you're truly blessed. Because there are not that many. The positive results of change, the positive results of repentance, it's not because, you know, I can confront you and see I told you so. He wanted them to see the blessings. Know the blessings of knowing me. And, and you know what? Think about that for a second. Do you have Christians, spiritual people in your lives right now that it's a blessing just because you know them? That's amazing. I have a whole bunch of people that I am cherishing just the fact that I know them. There are Christians in this congregation. Yes, I know it's a stunner that I like to be around. They bring me joy. I don't have to stand up and teach. I don't have to stand up and preach. Just to be in a room with them. Woo! And you know what? You guys need to get on that bandwagon. You need to be on that thing. Why? Because you're cutting yourself off from a relationship that God preordained to bring blessings and a life abundance to you. And we miss that. Listen, it's not that they're perfect. There's the weak, there's the faint-hearted, and then there's me. Why confront? Why discipline? Why? Easy. It always produces peace and brings forth righteousness. And then all of a sudden, that person that was confronted stands up wholly before God and becomes a benefit to everybody else. And it is growth by multiplication. Not addition. That's what the Apostle Paul is trying to get you and us to understand. So that you might not suffer loss in anything through us. Okay? One more point in why saints change. <laughs> Sorry. That's slow. Okay, I had a guy ask me that this week. He says, are you still in Second Corinthians? And I said, yep. So how long have you been in 2 Corinthians? I said, I don't know, I think nine and a half, ten years, something like that. He says, when are you going to get done with it? I said, I'm about done with it. He says, really? He says, well, do you teach anything else? I said, yeah, I teach sanctification on Sunday nights and Timothy on Wednesday. And he says, he said, I just don't understand why you take so long to teach something. I said, well, if you just learn it faster, I wouldn't have to take so long. So there, it's not my fault, man. <laughs> so when I get done, I can say, covered all the bases. Let's pray. Father, help us. <laughs> Me too. Help us to stand in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, I just pray that my brothers and sisters heard. Your spirit will touch their souls and they will stand. Father, and they'll understand that, yes, it's great to receive blessings, but Father, it is also great to be the blessing. Help us. Help us not to do that in a prideful way. Father, help us to do it in a way that brings glory and honor to you. You are amazing, Lord. You take these earthen vessels, these clay pots, these vile things that hated you even though you died for us. You take us to further your kingdom.
to bring blessing upon those who are called by your name. Father, only God of creation could think up a plan like that. Thank you for allowing us to be a part of it. Thank you, Father, for these precious people. Thank you for the snow that we've received. Father, thank you for the wonderful things that you continue to do in our lives individually, but, Father, in our lives collectively. Let us rest full weight upon the King of kings and Lord of lords. In Christ's name, amen.